Uh, hey, well, welcome. I am impressed. All y'all came out on Valentine's Day, so uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's some chocolate in the back. So uh, I'm excited to dive in to James tonight. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're just gonna dive in because I have like 27 verses we gotta get through. So. Um, we get to go through, not gotta go through. We get to go through. Uh, so, uh, I'm, but I'm super excited. So, I'm. We'll stand for the word in just a second. Um, I'm gonna ask a couple intro questions, and then we'll uh, we'll do that. Um, so, I'm gonna ask these intro questions. We'll pray, then we'll stand for the word. So, when was James written? Anybody have any ideas? Yeah, I have a name in my Bible system, sometime between 48 and 62 AD. Yeah, because yeah. Because of the things that he does not mention, it probably was the first New Testament book. Yeah, I have, uh, according to this, it's uh, 80, uh, 80, 40, and 50. Yeah, yeah, so um, some scholars, yeah, m- most Bibles have it at that. Some scholars put it at 80, 50. Um, all that to say, within that range, um, it would actually be one of the earliest um it would be the earliest of all the NT writings, or New Testament writings, uh, with the possible exception of Galatians. Galatians may have been written before, but um, it's probably the earliest writing we have of New Testament literature, uh, which is super cool. Um, what, was, what was the purpose? Why, like, why, why did James write the book of James? Yeah. What else? Kind of how we should behave and how we should we should act. Yeah. 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 So he he writes the book uh, to encourage Jewish Christians who were suffering opposition and experiencing difficulties that were testing of their faith, um, and then secondly to correct wrong ideas about the nature of the true saving faith. In Jesus Christ. Um, so th- those those are two reasons, and another one is exactly to challenge, to encourage, and instruct the readers, us, about the practical aspects of faith in action, um, which involves right living and good works. So all of these things. There's multiple reasons, and um, in your study Bibles, if you have a study Bible, in the beginning, we'll we'll go through like the purpose of the writing. Um, so, uh, listen, I am so thankful for study Bibles. I don't know about y'all. Uh, but I was thinking about this the other day. Even just the technology is, like, good and evil, I'm telling you. But the other day I was like, man, when I'm, like, doing Bible study and stuff and I'm, like, Googling things and, and looking at commentaries, I'm like, it's so cool just have it right there on the Internet. Um, so, anyway. Okay, let's pray, and then we'll stand for the, for the reading of the Word. God, thank you for tonight, for your goodness, for your mercy. Thank you. Um, just for the ability to gather together freely and worship you and, and think about you and, and grow uh, closer to you and get to know your character and, and the person uh, that you are, Lord. And I pray um, just for those tonight um, that were involved in the shooting in Kansas City, Lord, I pray that you would uh, move, that you would heal people, Lord, and that you would uh, be in the midst um, of all of the, the family talks and things. And uh, Lord, be with the officers um, that were that were there helping with the situation, Lord. Uh, our hearts just go out to the, the one person so far that's lost their life, Lord. I'm praying that uh, no one else would, Lord Jesus. And I'm praying just for healing um, over those who are injured, God. And so uh, we're excited to get into your word tonight, Lord Jesus. Would you just move with your spirit uh, fall thick across this, this room tonight and uh, let us hear your word. Not only hear your word, but be doers of the word, God. And so we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Okay, would you guys, let's stand. Does anybody want to read James 1? We can break it into two sections if someone wants to read, like. All right. Let's do it. Well, it's King James. I hope that's okay. Woo! Let's do it. James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, 
that ye may be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and unbrighteth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falling falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his way. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man stay when he is tempted. I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away with his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he of his own will begat he us the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But ye, but be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving you own selves. For if any be a bear, hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion is undefiled before God, and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Yes, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can be seated. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do a lot tonight. We're just gonna have a conversation. Um, so who who is James? Yeah, right. Um, does anyone remember, remember last week we watched the video? What was his What is his real name? Jacob. 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 Yeah. Um, so James in the in the beginning of this book. Um, and we'll stick with James. There's a couple of reasons why they talk about the Yaakov. Part of, part of that is he, one, it was translated later into Latin and might have been kind of, another reason though, is that Jacob was a very popular Old Testament name. So a lot of times they got, or got past Jacob into James to kind of remind people of the difference of Old Testament and Testament. But anyway, James uh, refers to himself as a servant of God. And of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we should all identify. Right? That's how we should all identify. But he could have said, James could have said, my name is James, right? The half-brother of Jesus. Instead, he doesn't identify himself that way. He identifies himself as a servant of God and to Jesus, which was his half-brother, right? Um, and, and Jesus was... so. He's claiming that Jesus is more than his brother, that he is, in fact, his Lord. Um, and so I just I love that. I, it's a really cool intro to the book. Um, and great. So who who's who's James writing to? To the twelve tribes. 
12. Yes, yeah. Um, original readers of this letter were likely Jewish Christians, uh, many of whom were scattered because of persecution. Right? That's, that's who he'd be writing to. Um, and so then you get to verse 2, and he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So how are we supposed to approach trials? Joyfully. Joy. Yeah. Joy. Yeah. Yeah, joy. We're really busted. Yeah, so James regarded trials as inevitable, right? I think we all can feel that a little bit, right? They come whether we want them to or not. Right? No one wakes up in the morning and says, Lord, give me, give me a trial, right? Like today I want to be tested. No one says that, right? At least I don't. Maybe you too. Um, he, he said that the, uh, the word when, right, and not if. And he also said that there are occasions for joy. Uh, there are occasions for joy and, and not discouragement. That God can use trials to strengthen our faith. And that we as, as believers, and his encouragement here is that we must see each trial as an opportunity to respond to a transforming work of God. And that God's word never teaches us that troubles in life are an automatic sign that God is disappointed with us. I want to make sure that's clear tonight. Because you're going through a trial, it doesn't mean that God's looking at you and saying, since you're doing all this stuff wrong, here, right? Yeah. That's not the God that operates in, in the Bible. Um, instead, they can indicate that God recognizes our faith and has confidence in our commitment to him. Right? Think about Abraham. Abraham was tested by God. For what, though? For what purpose? For faith. It wasn't that God was testing, uh, you know what I mean? It wasn't that he was putting his wrath upon Abraham or anything like that. It was for testing of faith. And so I just want to clear that up because I think people will take some trial and impose that upon God's character. As if God... God, why are you this way? You know, we end up getting so angry with God as if God's the one that's just dealing out the hard times. Uh, and we'll get to that a little bit here in a few verses. But, um, okay, so the verse three, what, what should the testing of our faith produce? Bruce, yeah, that was like, I can hear it. Endurance. Endurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the testing of our faith produces steadfastness, endurance, patience. Some scriptures will have it. Um, and the faith is tested through trials, but it's not produced by trials. Let's say that again. Faith is tested through trials. Like our faith is tested, but it's not produced. That our faith should already be, right? That we have faith in God now. And so then when we go through trials, it's tested, but I'm not usually producing more faith. And that I mean that, I already have faith in God, right? I'm already believing that he's going to get me through. And trials reveal what faith we do have. Not because God doesn't know how much faith we have, but so that our faith will be evident to ourselves and to those around us. Right? There's, you know those people that like, just like have so much faith that just, you know, like pours out. You can see it, that when they're going through some of the hardest stuff, there's, their automatic reaction is still to praise God. All right, that's, that's faith, that they know that their God is still good, that their God is still going to get them through. Um, and so trials don't produce faith, but when trials are received with faith, it produces patience. Um, and that trials should be seen for what they truly are. Trials are opportunities to joyfully mature into Christ-likeness. That's what a trial is. An opportunity to joyfully mature into Christ-likeness. Now, if all of us would just get that, you know, like stuck in our brains, we would maybe, but a lot of times that's not what we think when we're going through a trial. Uh, but that's what it really is. It's a time to us to, to mature, close to be more like Jesus, right? Uh, not a time to, to fret or, or to, to feel like the world is ending. The doomsday or like one bad thing happens and that's it. It's just to joyfully approach trials, to come into trial and be joyful um, in, in the midst of it. So verse 4, he goes on, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. <clears throat> Patience is the mark of a person who, who is what? right? Steadfastness is a mark of 
somebody who is what? If you read verse 4. Mature. Yeah, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing because you already have everything. That you are becoming more and more like Christ. And that when you have Christ, you truly have it all. This is what James is trying to get at. Like when we have, we're not lacking in anything. Because even when we're going through trial, we're still not lacking. Because we have Jesus. So that's that's it, right? And that's what he's getting into in the first four James just like drops a bomb right away, by the way. Like he doesn't just like kind of slide into his letter. He just, greetings, by the way, if you have trials, <laughs> celebrate joy. And so he just kind of jumps, jumps right in. But uh, verses five and through eight, um, I titled this section, how, how to receive the wisdom you need from God. That's really what these couple verses are talking about, how to receive the wisdom that you need from God. Um, and actually, these verses still have to do with trials. So don't, don't like disconnect them, right? There's not a disconnect here. Um, he continues to kind of flow um, with the same idea that, that trials br- bring a necessary season to seek wisdom from God. When we, when we endure, a tr- like when we're going through a trial, it should be to seek wisdom from God, not to, to hide away from God or or not feel like we can and feel like we can do it ourselves, but to seek his wisdom. And so this is what James is going to get at here in these verses. Um, but according to James, how how do we obtain wisdom? Yeah. It doesn't make it too complicated, right? James doesn't say, hey, to, to attain wisdom, you gotta pour ashes on your head and rip your clothes apart. Like that's not what he's getting. Like he says to ask. Um Here's the thing. We are all so ready to go to books, to go to men, to go to ceremonies, to, to, to go to anything except God. Like, you ever think yourself when you're going through something tough, who's the first person you run to? You ever just like ask yourself? When I'm growing up, right? It was my mom, right? I went to my mom for everything. Every little thing, right? Mom, someone called me a bad name. Like, random mom. Like, it's just who it was. And then as we mature in our faith, we start to realize that wisdom first comes from God. Um, and I was, you know, we were, our life groups doing a series, Ruthless Elimination of Harry by Mark Comer right now. And I've read the book once and we're going through it again and it still just blows my mind. But sometimes we're quick to leave the presence of God because we feel like we haven't heard from him. God, a lot of times, speaks in whispers. And yet we're waiting for this loud. And the problem is we, we don't go and sit in his presence and quiet ourselves. We're still so distracted. Um, you know, and, and anyway, we can get into all that. But the thing is, we as believers, our first response to trial should be to ask God for wisdom. God, you know. Um, so I think as believers that we really have to be not necessarily careful. I think there's something to seeking wise counsel, right? The scripture talks about it, but the wisest counselor is God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, he adds this little saying. He says, "Without reproach." Um, it's it's he adds it right, and that no one should come fearfully to God. He welcomes us, right? There's no like there's nothing too big or too small. Right? No matter what little like little thing you're going through, it's okay. Like God welcomes it all. I know so many people who struggle and say, "Well, I just don't think God, you know, God's going to care about my prayer." Like uh, it's like it's a trivial thing. Like you know, I need a car fixed. I'm like, oh, God's not really in the business. So, but He is. God cares about His people, His creation, and so you can bring all of that to God. Right? I mean. Just to talk to him, to have daily conversation with him. So verse 6, he goes on um, and he says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So when we ask, um, what are we supposed to ask in? Like, in faith. Yeah, in, Jesus. in faith we are to ask, Right? It says, with no doubting. 
Our request for wisdom must be made like any other request in faith without doubting God's ability or desire to give. And this doesn't just, listen, it doesn't just happen instantly. Right? There's a lot of times I'm like, God, I know that you can. And I know that it's in your perfect and like who you are. And yet I still, oh, God, but can you? And that comes with maturity of our faith. That as we continue to walk, listen, as we continue to see miracles, you know, and we step out in faith. And when we see those things, it's so easy to be like, God, you're going to do it. And to claim that. Um, he says, for the one who doubts um, and lacks faith should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. See, the lack of faith and trust in God shows that we have no foundation. That we're unstable in all of our ways. When we don't trust, when we lack the trust in God, we're, we have this no foundation. We have nothing to stand on. So when we come into his presence, we're, we're not asking for things because we're like, well, I, I just don't feel like God can do that. <clears throat> but we know that he can, right? And, and scripture tells us over and over again that he can. And so James is just, you know, talking about these things that when you come into a trial, first you ask God for wisdom. And not only do you ask him for wisdom, but you ask in faith. And believe that he's going to give it. Right? Believe that he's going to give it. Verse, uh, I think we just tackled verse. No. So 7 and 8. What do you think um, 7 and 8 mean? Yeah, so those who are not spiritually mature and have not made it their purpose or goal to become wise and mature will be unstable and easily snared by temptations, wrong teachings, and deceptive issues in life. And such people are, are, are not ready to become all God wants them to be. So what happens is the people uh, who, who are spiritually immature and are not stable on God's foundation, are so quick to be caught up in things that aren't good, right? That To be drawn away to wrong teaching, uh, which is very scary, by the way. Um, yeah, and, and not ready to become all that God wants them to be. I think when we come and we have that faith, and we come to Him asking without doubting, it's if we're mature in our faith, we're confident in our God. Mm -hmm. And if we're doubting, and we're not confident in the God that we're supposedly serving. Yeah. I think it, all of this comes with, with working out our faith, right? Like, it's sometimes I feel like James, when he puts it like this, it's like, okay, that makes, makes great sense. Um, it's not always as easy as like one day you just wake up and your faith is like 110%. It's something that we continue to, when we draw near to God and he draws near to us, then when the Holy Spirit is in us, we're, we're easily spurred on uh, knowing that God is near, knowing that God is who he is. But it takes spiritual discipline, right? It takes prayer. It takes the secret place to draw near to him. Um, anyway, I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to do that. Um, verses 9, 9 and 10. Um, I, or 9 through 11, I called encouragement for those affected by trials. Encouragement for those affected by trials. So 9 and 10 says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its uh, flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. What do you guys think about verses 9 and 10? What do you think that means? 
Sounds like I'm in a pretty good place. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, um, and this one, you know, I was kind of trying to figure it out for a while, too, and it, it actually is a contrast between the poor and the rich in his time, um, that, that Christians who go through a humbling situation should be glad that they have the opportunity to grow in their faith and relationship with God. In contrast, a wealthy Christian who endures difficulty should welcome the opportunity the character trait of humility and learn greater dependence on God. It's kind of a weird, like, so clearly this applies today for sure, right? But James was really speaking into some of the stuff in that time in the context of what was happening um, with with the difference between the rich and the poor and contrasting that, hey, just because you're rich, basically this, we all go through the same trials, rich and poor. Just because somebody's rich doesn't mean they don't go through trials, and just because someone's poor, I mean, obviously, you know what I mean? Like, so it, that's what he's, con- he's contrasting that to, saying we all go through trials. Um, and then how we handle it. He's giving ideas that as a rich person, if you're going through trials, let humility come. Be, remind- be reminded of humility. Um, and so, and then he goes into verse 11, that this whole idea that, that withers the grass and the flower falls, um, um, Linsky said it this way, as a poor brother forgets all his earthly poverty, so a rich brother all his earthly riches. By faith in Christ, the two are equals. By faith in Christ, the two are equals. And so verse 11 is that trials serve to remind the rich and the high that though they are comfortable in this life, it's still only this life. So he goes on to say, which fades as the grass grows brown and the flowers fade away. So basically, you could wrap these verses in this idea that um, by saying that Christians, trials and difficulties in life are the, the great equalizer, that rich, poor does not really matter, that the trials come, that no rich man or poor man can avoid trials and difficulties. Um, but it's, just, it's the way we respond, though, to those trials and difficulties. Um, so yeah, it was kind of interesting because I kind of thought maybe he was alluding to something different, but as I read commentaries, I was not. I had a thought um, yeah. that this kind of goes back to verses 5 through 8. Mm-hmm. And when he's asking for wisdom, you know, you go into the presence and you ask for wisdom. <coughs> that doesn't mean that you're asking for God to answer your prayers the way yeah. that you want them. It's not like you're asking for supply. Okay, I'm putting in my list. Right. Are you going to give me back? It's, it's I have a need. Yeah. I, I might be poor. I might be rich. I'm going through this trial. It doesn't matter. I have a need. Mm-hmm. Lord, give me wisdom to even know what to pray, yeah. to even know what to ask for. That is the thing that's going to mature us and grow us. Yeah. Um, not the things that we have or the things that we don't have or even how our prayers are answered. Yeah. It's that search for help me to know your heart better. Yeah. That is what's going to make us mature and complete. Yeah. That is the that wisdom. I kind of feel like that's it's still in a way talking about the wisdom. Yeah. Because if you put your faith in my material possessions, that's that's unwise. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I I don't also need to put my worth in the fact that I have nothing. Right. Or that's unwise as well. Yeah. So, I don't know. I yeah, yeah, it, it does. And all, and all of James 1 um, kind of ties together. And, um, you know, Pastor Anthony, I have talked about this earlier, but Mother Teresa has a saying that uh, someone asked her in an interview, when, I, when you pray, you know, what do you, like, what do you say? And she says, well, I don't. I listen. And then she said, okay, well, well what does God say to you? Well, he doesn't. He listens. <laughs> 
you know, we laugh, but there's something to that, that our spirit intercedes, right? And anyway, we're going to get into prayer in the next <laughs> 10 weeks. So, or, yeah, so I'm super pumped about that. But yeah, that was, that was great, great insight, Kelly. And um, yeah, so James from verse 11 makes this small little shift to talking about living for the Lord in times of temptation. So he kind of gets away from the wisdom, right? He gets away from some of that and he starts to talk about temptation. Um, and so verse 12 is the intro into the shift. And he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, right? So he's still talking about trials. He's still got that going. But um, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. What is the crown of life? What are you referring to here? Abundance faith, abundance of faith afterwards. Yeah. It's not a royal position, right? Like that, we know that that's not, he's not saying that, by the way, when you come out of the end of a trial, like someone's going to come and put a crown on your head, it's a good job. It's eternity spent with God. This is the, the, the come out of a trial um, that we know that in the end, right, it, it is the growing in faith, but it's eternity spent with God. It's the crown of life. So as we persevere through temptation, we are approved and we will be rewarded as to the work of God in us and through our resistance to temptation. But the reward comes in heaven. Like our reward is eternity with Jesus. As we continue to grow in our faith, we grow closer to Jesus. I'm not saying there's some like materialistic reward in heaven. I'm not going to get into all that kind of stuff. So what I'm talking about is the reward is Jesus. That's the reward. Um, why does James goes on and says, um, which God has promised to those who love him? What, why do you think he adds for those who love him? Let's get this way too. How, how, if you've looked at your life, how do you overcome temptation? God's help. Um, I would even go a little bit further and say that when we overcome temptation, it shows that the passion, uh, uh, our passion and love for God, it really is the only thing that overcomes temptation. Right? When we are so in love with God and our passion for God, that's when we can overcome temptation. It's not by ourselves. Let me tell you. You know, it, it's that passion and love for God. And so I think that's what he's getting at here, that which God has promised to those who love him, that when we love him, he's with us and he's helping us battle temptation. Right? That we don't have to go this 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 place alone. Um, which praise praise God for that. So um okay. Verses 13 through 16, how does, how, uh, I thought of this section, how temptation comes and works. Um, we're going to answer some questions tonight that I feel like are super important because somewhere, sometimes in some of our Christian theology, we've, we've gotten this wrong. Um, so let me ask a question. Does God tempt people? No. Yeah, that's, that's the right answer. So, um, <laughs> because, but. There are, there are, I've talked to many a Christian yeah. who believe that God tempts them. I'm like, I'm not like sure where you where that's coming from. Because uh, James is pretty clear. Um, but does God allow temptation? Yes. yes. Yeah. According to James, when we face temptations, God's purpose is to prove our faith and produce character. Um, that is a, a high, good, and noble motive. And, and God does not, God does provide tests of faith. However, he does not tempt us with things of evil, um, with things of evil. That, that's our own fleshly desires in the enemy. That's the only things that can tempt. Right? God is not sitting up in heaven saying, I'm going to tempt you with lust tonight. Right? That is not of God. God is not of evil. God is purely good. And so um, James, and he, he spells it out for us. And James knew that, that people have an evil tendency to blame God when they find themselves in trials. Yet God is unable to be tempted, nor does he tempt himself tempt anyone. Uh, basically saying it's not in his nature. It is not in God's nature to tempt somebody. Uh, 
right? Providing tests of faith looks a whole lot different than temptation, right? A test of faith isn't, I've struggled with this addiction for my whole life, so God, God puts in my path another bottle of whatever. God, that's not what God does for his children. Um, so, but thankfully, I do believe that when we're in the midst of that, like James said, when our passion and love for Jesus is inside of us, there's a way out of temptation. There's a way out to break out of, uh, of those things. So, um, so verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Um, so temptation comes when? When does temptation come? When does temptation come? Always. <laughs> Always. <laughs> when we are not, when we are not looking at Jesus, basically, when we are not looking at God. Yeah, it, it, James says when, like, um, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires, his own desires. Yeah. yeah. That's when we, we want something we want more than what God wants. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which. I mean, even like Kelly talked about earlier, it affects sometimes the way we pray. We're asking God, instead of sitting in his presence and, and, and hearing his heart and what he desires for us, I, I mean, I'm guilty of it. A lot of times I come with my own desires. I make the Lord know what I need, right, and when I need it, you know. And, and anyway, so, uh, yeah, when we are drawn away by our own fleshly desires, the world and the devil provide the enticement. The world and the devil provide the enticement. Um, right now, I truly believe there is a battle for, for, for believers. And I think one of the, the biggest battles is, is hurriness. Like, we are, or busyness. We are, man, like, this is John Mark Comer. If you haven't read any of his stuff, I'm telling you, I would encourage you to, to get some of his books and just start to, to read. But um, I can tell you it's that because look at your phone time. I can tell you it's that because look how much we work. Yeah. Um, and by that, I mean, like, we just, and all of that in contrast to how much time we spend with God. Um, but it's, I think, the less time with God, the easier it is to be tempted mm-hmm. right, by things of the world and things uh, from the enemy. So, verse 15, he goes on and says, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Uh, what is, so what is it called when we give into such desires? Sin, right? Which then brings what? Death. death. Springing forth from sin is death. Um, and that this progression, by the way, is an, is an inevitable result that Satan always tries to hide from us. Like, when, when we sin, Satan's not sitting there and going like, oh, that's bad. He's enticing us for more. Right? That when we live a life full of sin, it becomes easier to walk away. Right? It's easier to forsake God because you've gone, you can we continue in this life of sin. Now, um, and so it, when we continue in that life of sin, Death is inevitable. And he's not talking about physical death, though also does imply because sin into the world, death into the world, physical death. But more, more spiritually, that when we continue to sin and continue to sin and continue to sin, uh, now we all sin, right? Romans 3.23, I all fall short of the glory of God. But this habitual sin that takes over, starts to take over the mind and, and it starts to harden the heart of the believer. Um, and then it leads to this place of, of, of death. We're just no longer in a healthy spiritual walk with God, that we've grown distant, far from him, hard to hear his voice, right? I know, it, like in my own personal life, there have been times where I feel like, God, I, where, where are you? And it's because I've entered into some season of, you know, like, and so I think it's important that James is just trying to remind us that, um, that temptation comes, and when we give in to that, leads to sin, and sin leads to death. It's just a natural progression. Um, okay, so he goes on in verse 16. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. 
And he goes on, for every good, um, good gift from, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So verse 16, Satan's great strategy is to convince us that the pursuit of our corrupt desires will somehow produce life and goodness in us. Right? Have anyone read Screwtape Letters? C.S. Lewis? Fantastic book, right? I'm just going to give you guys all kinds of books tonight, apparently. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm a reader, apparently. So, um, but yeah, it, Screwtape Letters does this kind of cool, well, not kind of cool, kind of creepy uh, dialogue between, I think, I can't remember all their names, but like the devil and, and his demons and how they work. And it, anyway, all this to say that Satan's great strategy is, is to convince us that when we're in sin, it's good for us. Right? I mean, think about it. If I, it makes sense that he would try to keep you in a place because he's keeping you separated from God. Right? Sin is separation from God. Um, okay, so verses 17 and 18, I kind of I paired these two together, and I said that God's goodness stands in contrast to the temptations that we face. God's goodness stands in contrast um, to the temptations we face. Verse 17, every good gift comes from who? From God. Every good gift comes from God. There is nothing good that doesn't come from the gift giver. Um, We expect no true goodness from our own fallen natures and from those who would entice us. Instead, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father in heaven. Um, No variation. God's goodness is constant. He doesn't ever like lack in goodness. His goodness is constant. There's no variation in him. So what what is meant by Father of Lights? Isn't it referring to the fact that God is light? And therefore there is no shifting from one to the other? Yeah. There is no shadows. Yeah. Um I'm gonna give you this, this guy named Hebert his his thoughts. Um According to Hebert, the ancient Greek is actually the father of the lights, right? Not the father. So um, the specific lights are the celestial bodies that light up the sky both day and night. The sun and stars never stop giving light. That even when we can't see them, even so, there is never a shadow with God. Exactly, that he is light. Um, that when night comes, the darkness isn't the fault of the sun. It shines as brightly as before. Instead, the earth has turned from the sun and the darkness comes. That God is always light. Like you were saying, that he is always light. That when temptation comes and we give in, we've given way to the darkness. Just, you know. And so, anyway, he came up with that great thought and uh, clearly a lot um, more of a deeper thinker than I am. So, uh, but yeah, exactly. That, that he is light. That God is the father of light that um yeah so that's it um what about verse 18 verse 18 of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we would be we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures um that verse 18 speaks of spiritual salvation that comes from accepting and responding the truth of jesus christ that, that Jesus um, initiated salvation of his own will, that we might be of his glory as first fruits of his harvest. So anyway, that's kind of all the way up to, to verse 19. So um, any questions so far? Yes. Yeah. Um, the book that you were talking about, CS Lewis, what did you say that was? Screw tape letters. Screw tape. Yeah. Yeah. Screw tape, I think, is one of the most known. It's good. Yeah. The only people I'm guy remember is but Yeah, it's 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 a fun book. Um, any other, anything else? I really like the book of James because um, I feel like a lot of times he's very straightforward. <laughs> I, I don't feel like I'm always there's some Bible. Like I'll read, and I feel like, like I, I'm in New Old Testament for in a year right now is what I'm going through, and I'm in Exodus, and I'm guessing sometimes like I have no idea what's happening here, <laughs> no idea. Um, so I'm reading so many commentaries. I'm 
trying to to figure out and uh, but yeah anyway that was a side note not really sure what I'm talking about uh, so one other thing that I thought of when you were talking about when in verse 14 when I was talking about desire mm-hmm. I think it's super important for us to realize that I think when you read this it's easy to equate all all everything I want is sinful mm-hmm. and all of my desires are sinful well that's not what he's saying it's I think that there again asking for wisdom lord help me sort out i really want this thing is this a wise thing Mm. you know like in the company of jesus in the company of the holy spirit asking that's the kind of thing we need wisdom for is to help us sort out like i don't want to be like is this wise thing for me to desire Mm -hmm. like sorting out what our desires are in the presence of god helps us to stay away from things that could be a trap and aren't good. Because if yeah. we aren't wise, like if God te- gives us wisdom, then we're able to d- differentiate between like holy desires and yeah. my desire is submitted under him versus, well, I, I want what I want and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to go for it no matter what you say, God. Yeah. That's where yeah. sin comes in. Yeah, and uh, Kelly makes a great point, and this is why... Um, Part of our next-gen focus, I think, comes out of this a little bit. Pastor, you and I were talking earlier just that there are so many Facebook and Instagram and TikTok evangelists, it's not even funny. And yet, um, we used to have it, when Rachel and I did youth um, back at our last church, and we'd have kids send us stuff all the time. Hey, like, is this is this true? And it'd be some, like, TikTok video. And I'm like, whoever that is that you're following, you need to unfollow. Because that's not of God. And yeah, Lamanda, what's up? I don't mean to interrupt you, but I want I do want to say, sadly, it's not just the kids. My 84-year-old <laughs> uncle is constantly looking on the internet mm. for things because he's mm. not been in that life. Yeah. He doesn't know the Christian life. So it's even hitting the elderly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And that's but that is why I kind of made a great point. It's super important. Yeah. Discernment only comes when you're close to God. Yeah. Right. When you are being in His presence, when you're sitting in His discernment does not come when God's so far away we can't hear Him. But happens then is we do end up saying, "Well, God, I'm not really hearing from you, so I think this is good." Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Also, good point to point out that we seek. Wise counsel from the Lord, and then it's always good to seek wise counsel from from other believers who are who are close to God. I'm not just saying any Christian, by the way. Disciples of the Lord who are close to Him, um, who who have one your best interest at heart, but also sometimes I have trouble when Christians go and ask just their best friend for advice because I'm not, listen, my best friends back in like high school and stuff, and they. Um, even in college, when I had some Christians around me, it was just like, yeah, man, I have a great idea. And I was like, I started to realize how easy people like to say it's good for you because they love you and they want you to have fun or whatever. Anyway, all I have to say, yeah, great, great, great point, Kelly. Um, okay, so let's pick back up um, in somewhere, verse 19. Yeah. Um, so 19 through 27, I, I titled this section has to do with hearing and doing the word. Um, 19 and 20 specifically has to do with standing firm against unrighteous anger. Um, so verse 19, right? We get this. We as believers, I feel like say this all the time. Uh, be, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Uh, great. What do these mean? Patience. Yeah. Quick to listen means that we wait. We train ourselves to wait for the whole story. Oof. I mean, I, listen, how many of us are guilty? We just run off like, hey, someone said this. You can't believe. Right? It, we're, to be slow, to be, uh, to, to be quick to listen means that we, we get the whole story before we make decisions and uh, before diving in with our opinion, um, the people that you'll talk to and the whole time they only heard what you first said and then are ready to answer, they're not, they're not quick to listen. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like what we would get is we would 
a manner uh, like where we're not listening for him per se, but we're listening for our own mm-hmm. wants to be confirmed yeah. by him. Yeah. And that's not listening for the true God. That's yeah. Whatever that is. Yeah. So being quick, quick to listen, right, and then slow to speak. Ooh, what does that mean? Slow down and think before you. Yeah, yeah. Don't blurt out everything that comes to mind. Um, and we're going to get into this a lot more. James is going to address this, I think, in chapter 3. And, um, so. I just thought you could subtitle chapter 3, watch your mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he goes on to slow to anger. Another way of putting slow to anger is the idea of patience again. Yeah. Like I said, people with under people with understanding control their anger. People with understanding control their anger. But to do all of that, it is to be quick to listen, slow to speak. Um, those things they're all tied together, right? He, he puts them all in there. Um, then he goes on. He says, "For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That our wrath does not accomplish the righteousness of God." Our wrath almost always defends or promotes our own agenda. Our wrath almost always defends or promotes our own agenda. Um, that the righteousness of God, he goes on and says that man's anger does not produce that righteousness of God. So, yeah, he just kind of wraps those two up. And then he goes on to verse 21. Um Seven or verse twenty-one, standing firm against the lust of the flesh, and so it says. Therefore, put all, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So, what are we to do? What is what's the instruction James is giving here? Yeah, yeah. James is saying that. To lay aside all impurity and in its place were to receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Um, We're to receive God, to receive his word, to receive his teaching, his correction. Um, And and basically, when when we walk in faith, God is purifying us, right? Refining us, making us into to more like Jesus. And the way he does that is he gets rid of the impurities and makes us whole, makes us more like Jesus. Um, and that, that we are not saved by working, but by receiving, by what God gives us. James is alluding to the spiritual power of the word of God. When it is implanted in the human heart, it transforms us. That the word of God carries the power of God. The word of God carries the power of God. We are... Like here at Flag Church, we're so passionate about people getting into the Word of God because we understand, and as James tells us, it's transformative. It transforms our lives. It's super important that we're getting into the Word and, and, and meditating on the Word and sitting in God's presence. And so um, he goes on, verse 22 through 25. Um, but be doers, this whole section is about how to receive the Word of God. Um, what does it mean to be doers of the word? Yeah. Yeah. So in the, in the ancient world, it was common for people to hear a teacher, uh, right? And by teacher, I mean a rabbi. Um, and if you followed that teacher, you tried to live like that teacher. Right? They would teach you to go in the ways that they were going. Um, and so for us, uh, that teacher, you, you tried, uh, for us, it's to look at Jesus and try and live like Jesus lived. That's to be doers of the word. People who are doers of the word um, don't just hear it and say, yeah, that was a great word. Right? Great word, pastor, or great word, whoever, and then do nothing with it. Like, you cannot read the word and get in the presence of God and not start to be transformed. It's impossible. But you have to be willing to, to receive it and to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And so what does he say being hearers and not doers is like? Like looking 
Yeah, right? Um, he, it's look intently at um, his natural face. Hearing and not doing is like looking in the mirror, walking away from it, and immediately forgetting what you saw. Yeah. But the information you received did not bear any fruit in your life. So it's like checking off the box when you read scripture. Yeah. Right? Just to say, I... Um, I really challenge myself every night when I go to bed to just think back. Like, can you remember what you read this morning? You know? Like, and so part of that is, that's why I'm, t- I'm talking about this hurriness and distraction stuff that we have going on in society. But um, it's to, to be just listeners of the word and to, to read it, but then forget later what you read isn't going to transform us to be more like Jesus. A healthy person looks in the mirror to do something. Not just to admire the image. Even so, a healthy Christian looks into God's word to do something about it. Not just to store up facts that he will put that he will not put to use by being a doer of the word. So it's not just to, even when we read the word, it's not just to, to gain more head knowledge. It's to draw near to Jesus. That's why we read the word. Um, verse 25. But the one who oh I did that one looks at the, no sorry but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing. So if we are to study the word of God intently and do put it into action then then blessings right that perfect law of liberty is the way uh, the word of God is described that's what he's talking about the perfect law of liberty is the word um, in the new covenant God reveals to us a law. But it is the law of liberty, written on our transformed hearts by the Spirit of God. So all that to say that if we study the Word and put it into action, that's what we're supposed to do. And that when we do that, it starts to transform us from the inside out. We become more like Jesus. And that's the goal, right? Our walk is to become more like Jesus, to be disciples. Verse 26 and 27. I might finish us somewhat on time. Uh, I, I titled this Examples of What It Means to Be Doers of the Word of God. Examples of what it means uh, to be doers of the Word of God. Uh, he says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God and, and the Father is this to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. James explained that real religion is not shown by hearing the word. He just talked about that, but by doing it. And he goes on to give an example, which he's, he elaborates a lot more in, in chapter 3. And uh, But he goes on, one way to do this is to bridle the tongue. Uh, right? This slow to speak, this idea that we should actually think before we say words. Uh, but I'm going to let, I don't know who's teaching chapter 3, but whoever, get, I think is Kelly's here, or is it chapter 3? I think it's Kelly. So she'll get into that a lot more, um, and that'll be a super fun week. Um, your walk, he goes on, he, he says that your walk is useless if it, if it does not translate into the way you live and the way you treat others. That when we walk with Jesus, it should, it will translate. <clears throat> into how we treat others and how we love others. But it's because we're near to him. We're being transformed by him. And he goes on in verse 27. Um, this religion that is pure and undefiled before God, that, that true Christianity is not about religion. True Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that a real walk with God shows itself in simple and practical ways. It helps the needy and keeps itself unstained by the world's corruptions. When we walk with God, right, to love God and to love others, it helps the needy. There's so many commands and, and ideas about helping uh, those that are less fortunate and things. But, um, and it's to keep us unstained by the world's corruption, um, and we do that, like I said, by being in his presence, by seeking the wisdom from God. The Christian ideal is not to retreat from the world. That we are in the world, but we are not of the world. 
And we, so we are to remain unstained from the world. We do this, but yes, we have to be in it, right? We are here. You can't deny that. But we're supposed to look different than just your normal person, right? That we are, when we are disciples, it looks different. It looks different. So that's James 1. A lot. Um, but yeah, I love James. Any questions? Uh, we always, uh, instead of uh, looking inside the box, you got to uh, look outside. Because you got the four walls in the room, but if you don't uh, take it outside, and you're just keeping it uh, in the same Yeah, house. yeah, yeah. The church is the people of God, right? We have to be in the world. Um, yeah, totally agree. Any other thoughts? Any other questions? Sweet. Okay. That's James 1. 